Hello, dear community. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your movements. Looks like you have beautiful weather, at least in Kalispell. We have beautiful weather here in Ann Arbor. And we know the rain is also beautiful if that's what you're having. Um, so before sharing the talk, I would just like to ask if our bellmaster would offer us three sounds of the bell to feel our bodies relaxing, coming home again and again with each breath. Dear beloved teacher, dear beloved community, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy seeing Bryce invite the bell with a hand on his heart and a canine by his side. <laughs> so his hand is maybe on the heart and another heart is beating right next, next to him. So dear friends, ah, you know, just contemplating this season we're in and how challenging this year has been for so many humans and also non-humans. Just really naming, as Ty says, we need to call our ill-being by its true names. This is the practice of the Buddha's first noble truth, to acknowledge the reality that we do experience loss, that there is wildfire and smoky air and a pandemic. Many people are feeling tense and worried about the election happening over these coming weeks. We can acknowledge these things and have compassion for our own pain and for the pain that we see around us. And how do we respond? As Buddhist practitioners, we respond by taking refuge. And we know that in fact, it is in our nature to take refuge. And we're actually doing it every day, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. If it's unconsciously, we may be numbing or seeking to escape our pain, consuming snack foods or intoxicants, social media. We might be taking refuge in keeping ourselves super busy or in our intellect, reflexively reading every headline to try to make sense of a situation that is chaotic and in which we feel anxious and overwhelmed. As students of the Buddha, what we practice is choosing our refuge and linking ourselves up with it consciously. We look into the pain and we look into what truly may bring relief. As students of the Buddha and students of Thay, Thich Nhat Hanh, we find through this practice of looking deeply with mindfulness, that what brings true relief, what brings true happiness, isn't accumulating more millions of dollars in our bank account, 
It isn't getting twice as many likes on our media post. It's whether we feel real connection, whether we feel love and compassion animating our daily lives. Specifically when it comes to consumption of media and the intensity and alarm and division that we may ingest there, it's very understandable if we find ourselves feeling chronically stressed, when we get lost in the sea of endless pings and news and opinion pieces, we lose sight of how we can touch love and really touch compassion. So mindful consumption, not only through our body, but especially what we consume through our mind is a very important aspect of our practice. And I've asked myself, what is our practice in a time such as this? What is the practice for this time? And what I see is that it's what our teacher Tai wrote about in his groundbreaking classic book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. It's coming down out of the buzzing of the mind and the proliferation of thought and worry and projection to really taste one section of a tangerine to really smell and even feel on our skin when we first pull back the peel of the tangerine and the oil sprays out so finely and it smells so juicy fresh and delicious we can be fully present and alive again in the moment when we're there for our bodily senses if we're simultaneously looking at the tv and peeling and tossing one piece after another down our throat after two bites or chatting and texting away while we eat we completely miss the pleasure and the nourishment being offered to us by the cosmos in the form of a tangerine in that moment we're just more and more living our life like a kind of ghost rather than what we really are which is an embodied living part of this beautiful earth and this beautiful community of humans, animals, plants and trees. So I found myself contemplating what Tai was taught when he first became a novice, a baby monk in Hue, Vietnam, way back in 1942, 1942. What the traditional path of instruction was and actually still is Tai says that the very first thing that was handed to the novice for study was a booklet of gathas, short verses or poems that the monks and nuns are asked to learn by heart. Gathas are practiced with many different acts of our daily life, and Tai says they've been a part of Zen practice for 2,000 years now. Why? Because these verses help us, first of all, be fully in our action. They help the mind connect with what the body's doing and be fully present in it, and also to feel its place. Often the verses include something about the place of this thing that's happening in the larger stream of life. So when we turn on the water faucet, we say this gatha, water is flowing from high mountain sources. Water is running deep in the earth. Miraculously, water comes to us, sustaining all life. Many people of this planet have to walk and transport water for miles. We just walk 10 steps and flick our wrist. So in this practice, we take in how we are being supported and nourished with the ease of having water stream out for us at any moment. So practicing with gathas was the very first out of all the things that a Buddhist monastery might decide a new novice practitioner needs to learn. It was these poems to help the mind connect and reconnect and reconnect with the actions of the body and with what we're about here. You know, the novice comes into the monastery from this big complex world maybe a career, 
maybe all kinds of complex issues in our family lives. And all of us humans have some tendency or conditioning to think about so many things, plan, strategize. When we take on the practice of mindfulness, it seems the Zen master saw it's really important to assign this practice of contemplating words that call us again and again all through the day into authentic presence and meaning in these everyday actions that we do, that we all do. As you may have seen in the email attachment, there are classical gathas for waking up in the morning, for taking the first steps of the day, opening the window, using the toilet, washing our hands, sitting down to meditate, chopping vegetables. All of these are opportunities to come back out of that proliferation of thoughts, perhaps judgments, planning about things we maybe don't really need to be planning and replanning right this minute, to just be here and be a living being in the present moment. The only moment life is available, right? Doing what we're doing with 100% of ourselves. When I think of us in this life that we all are living right here in our towns and neighborhoods, this is what came to me about the complexity and the uncertainty and often anxiety as well as perhaps sometimes anger that many of us are feeling in the course of a regular day. Parenting, basic health protection, not being able to do any number of things the way we're accustomed to having done them without risking our health. All that's involved in arranging our lives and our families' lives so this is what I feel is needed in this season is a reminder, a fresh revisit, if we've practiced with gathas before, or perhaps some of us are getting to do this this weekend with a real beginner's mind, embracing the gathas practice. And I was reflecting on what is that really about? And in my mind's eye, I saw the stained glass windows that are found in the meditation halls in Plum Village. And in these windows, there are three Sanskrit words calligraphed usually at the base of the window. Those words in Sanskrit are smriti, samadhi, and prajna. And the image and the words together are actually the logo for Plum Village. Thai translates these three words as mindfulness, concentration, and insight. So I'd just like to give us an opportunity to practice with the sound of the bell. We have a gatha for that too. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. I'm hearing another bell of mindfulness outside. I don't know if it's coming into my microphone, but some people are doing work in their yard. So the aspect of gatha practice that I didn't emphasize here is concentration. My personal sense is that in these times we all are living, concentration is a key element for us to maintain a solid grounding and being really present, present for our life right here, right now. There's so many things calling and pulling at us, so many pings and posts about who just tweeted what and what's going to happen and what it all means. 
And of course, we do need to be in touch with what's happening appropriately. We do have actions to take to respond to the situation in our community and our country. We want them to be proactive rather than just constant impulsive reaction, reaction, reaction. And actually, if we're constantly in that state of reacting to every little blip, I think we're actually less likely to have the clarity and the energy to take an action that can actually make a positive difference, whether that's in our family or in our nation. So to, to do that, we need to keep practicing this pausing in the midst of our activity because there's just so much movement, so much wind in our culture right now that I feel the remedy that's needed for balance is the grounding, to keep touching the ground, touching the earth, remembering over and over that even as many, many things are changing, sometimes dramatically, sometimes even day by day, there is a sense of something we can trust, a true refuge we can rely on, something that really matters and gives meaning to our life no matter what the circumstances are. We want to practice in a way that helps us keep coming back to our true home in the present moment and then choosing our next action. I remember specifically for myself while living as a nun in Plum Village, one thing that I noticed in my practice, especially about the gathas, was that out of these dozens of gathas we were given to learn and use, there was one gatha I recited the most faithfully and consistently, really without fail, a minimum of three times every single day. It was the gatha of the five contemplations before eating. And when I look back on it now, I realize that probably a big reason why that is the gatha I recited most faithfully for the longest period of time is because that's the one that was most completely and visibly, obviously practiced, supported and universally practiced and stopped for in the culture there. Like in Plum Village, it simply was not done to just plop down and start eating some food. We always would pause first to contemplate it. So even if we were practicing some of those other gathas for turning on water or for walking, it was, I guess, less obvious than when someone would have their bowl of food and they were not eating it. Um, so the second of the five contemplations before eating is, may we eat in mindfulness and gratitude. And at a certain point, some years into my time in Plum Village, I was going through some type of challenge in my mind and heart, and I realized there was some other quality that felt most important for me to call upon and touch I don't remember anymore specifically what it was, but I remember I decided to invoke that quality that I needed the support for, to remind myself of my intention, to put myself back in touch with over and over. So for example, out of the three meals of the day, maybe before one meal or two, I would recite the contemplations in the classic form as they were normally said. And then the other one or two meals, I would use my own words of whatever it was I wanted to bring into my practice. It could have been self-acceptance or confidence, but I found that reciting those daily, once or twice every day, what I really needed was really, really helpful. You know, Ty um, liked very much to talk about his own novice days. They clearly were sweet, treasured memories for Ty. Um, and that includes getting his booklet of gathas and learning them. 
at that time there were 50 gathas in his booklet. And once in a while, Thay would tell us about how in 1940s Vietnam, the newfangled thing to do was to ride on a bicycle. Thay said that when he was a novice, no monks or nuns were riding bicycles because it was considered way too modern. Well, Thay being the revolutionary he is, at a certain point when he was in Yatrang, he decided with five other monks that they were going to start riding bicycles for whatever it is they were doing in Yatrang. And Thai would tell us proudly in Plum Village that he believes he's one of the first six monks in the whole nation of Vietnam to ride a bicycle. And besides being a revolutionary, we know that Thai is extraordinarily poetic and generative, as well as innovative. So of course, he quickly realized that there needed to be a gatha for riding a bicycle. And he composed one. I believe he also later on composed one for um, boarding an airplane when his work had him doing that. And I don't know if I ever had a chance to read either of those two gathas, the bicycle or the airplane. They were not in my novice manual. But as some of you also know, if you go back a ways with Plum Village, their text of the five contemplations on eating have, has changed considerably from the first version Thai shared with the Mahasanga back around, I don't know, the 1980s or so. Um, so I learned the then current version when I came to this practice 25 years ago. And I do remember versions being revised from time to time over the years. <clears throat> so when I was there in Plum Village and I did something different with the second contemplation, I really was just being Thai's continuation, adapting my gatha to make it more alive, more applied to what was really happening for me in the moment and the qualities I was wanting to strengthen in my practice that particular week or month. And that's what I want to invite all of us to do today. Um, you should have received by mail a sheet of or a couple pages of gathas, uh, some translated into English from the classical Chinese by Tai, others written more recently by other people. So my invitation to you this afternoon is to find one or two or three gathas that can really bring your everyday actions alive. Either gathas as they already have been written or as you choose to revise them or that you compose completely freshly for a new action. You know, Ty also created a gatha for turning on a computer. You may like to create one for when you're about to tap an app like Zoom or even for breathing through interruptions in a Zoom connection. <laughs> breathing, breathing as I, breathing as the connection is being reestablished. I know that my connection to their heart is unbroken, something like that. Whatever you want to call in. Or, or you can write a gatha for participating in a mindful demonstration for peace and justice. Or a gatha for putting on a mask. Another way to explore your own gatha practice is to consider for a moment if there's something in your daily life that you often find yourself doing not very mindfully. Like maybe you often stub your toe in the morning at that one spot in the kitchen, or you find yourself rushing through every almost red light, even if you're not even late, and you know you're giving your body and mind an extra hit of unnecessary stress each time you do it. 
<clears throat> so I'll tell you the example that came to me about my daily life. If you've been coming to these retreats that I've been so, so lucky to be joining you for um, with Open Way and Open Sky, uh, you might have noticed my hair progressively getting a little, a couple inches longer each time. So now it's long enough to put in a ponytail. So I use this ponytail holder and it's um, curly and quite stretchy. So I do like sort of three, it has like three, uh, three circles by the time, you know, I'm finished. And I've noticed that very often when I take it out of my hair, I'm not very mindful. And it uh, doesn't come out easily. It's kind of tangled and I hear like a couple hairs breaking and I just think, you know, uh, and I realized that's an action where not only for the taking out, but actually the putting in, if I'm more present with when I put those, those three loops around my hair, if I do it mindfully, I can place like the last loop a little bit above the others. And then when I want to take it out, I know where to put my hand to take, take it back out easily. So I think I'm going to practice that this afternoon. I'm going to write myself a gatha for putting the elastic around my hair. If you don't feel called to do composing or revising of gathas, you can just choose one or two or three of the existing ones that you really like, that feel alive for you, and that you want to take on with some energy and inspiration and spend the hour that we've devoted for it this afternoon making some lovely little cards or posters with beautiful lettering or decoration for yourself. You can hang them up or stick them up where you do that action, decorate it like an illuminated manuscript. This is about you inhabiting and loving your life. Have fun with it. We have a sound of the bell. There's a longer gatha for listening to the bell. It goes, listening to the sound of the bell, I feel my afflictions beginning to dissolve. My heart is calm, my sorrows ending. I'm no longer bound to anything. In the garden of my heart, the flower of peace blooms beautifully. You know, regarding our practice in a time of pandemic, um, an American Insight meditation teacher, Tara Brock, reported that experts now say we should wear our masks not only when we're out and about, but also inside our own house. Not because it reduces transmission of the virus, but to keep ourselves from constantly eating. <laughs> so if that silly story resonates for you on some level as it does for me maybe exploring your own deepest desire for yourself that you'd like to touch just before eating something would be a juicy practice for you the classic gathas for actions like eating food drinking water which is different from turning the water on wearing clothes um, they often talk about gratitude for all that is being offered to us in that moment. And I also found that with these Plum Village Five Contemplations, the first of the five, it says, this is the gift of the earth, the sky, numerous living beings, and much hard loving work. 
that was helpful for me to focus on if I noticed that I was feeling kind of lonely or isolated, just to remember the profoundly interconnected presence of all life manifesting right in this bowl of food. Or sometimes if I was in a place of self-criticism and self-judgment, just to sense that, well, you know, somehow the cosmos has loved me enough to put food here to keep this body and mind going. Who am I to say, no, not for this one. She's not good enough. So the invitation I'm making to you is, first of all, the mindfulness of acknowledging that now is a time we need to emphasize, focus on being present for the wonders of being alive, the many conditions of happiness that are here, even amidst all the currents that are moving through our culture. And secondly, it's about mindfully recognizing what is happening inside you in your personal practice right now and where you could most use some strengthening, some bolstering. What is a quality or energy or way of being that you personally want to reinforce in your daily life? And then using your intention and your initiative to consciously tap into that as you do an action that you can connect to it. So concentration, awareness of what we're needing now, intention to cultivate that, and then creativity. Creativity in naming the quality, in selecting the words for our little poem, or just making a beautiful calligraphy, or however it is, each one of us wants to create a loving daily reminder to ourselves and a fresh one. You know, in this uh, historical dimension of our embodied human existence, I hear a voice outside, (laughs) just breathing. In this embodied human existence, we do have a nervous system that can be stressed and agitated if we feel the ground shifting on us all the time, if that's our perception. And it's all about our perception, right? And the skillful action in times of agitation and anxiety is to bring in this grounding and stability, which is exactly why Tai, who's no stranger to turmoil, gave us the meditation gatha, solid as a mountain, firm as the earth. And I heard Tai speak multiple times about the importance for the health and growth of a family or the sangha or each of us as individuals to have, have a practice that embodies solidity and stability. 2020 has been a difficult year for a lot of people. For myself, there were a couple of interactions I found myself in this summer that were quite challenging. And we may find ourselves looking at these changing and challenging conditions and getting a feeling of overwhelm and thinking, well, maybe after this election or after this Supreme Court fight is over, then I can breathe again. Maybe when there's a widely available, effective vaccine, then I can enjoy life again. And I'm certainly not in any way minimizing the difficulties or maybe multiple strong difficulties we're experiencing. At the same time, the first noble truth, the first noble truth that the Buddha taught right after his enlightenment experience is that, yes, there is pain in life. And this is our human life. Meanwhile, right after that, in the third and fourth noble truths, we're reminded that suffering does cease and that there are ways of relating with suffering. There are choices we can make that will increase or decrease our suffering. And I know it can sounds so easy to just say, oh, it's all in the way you relate to it. It's not always that easy to remember 
and reconnect in a real way, is it? It takes practice. There was this um, old-timey French song that Ty used to love to talk about. Qu'est-ce qu'on attend pour être heureux? What are we waiting for to be happy? What are we waiting for to be happy? Ty continually emphasized that when we're mindful of all the good conditions, the, the positive, supportive conditions we still do have, even amid real difficulties, if we bring our awareness to the astonishing miracle of our eyes, of our ears, of having people in our life we can love and be loved by, even if it's only two or three people, that can make life very beautiful. There's an enormous beauty in this life. We need to include these insights in our daily awareness and not just allow our brain's negativity bias to run our lives and make us stressed and miserable. This is doing what the neuroscientist Rick Hansen teaches taking in and he calls it installing the positive pleasant experiences that are available to us because otherwise our evolutionary survival brain will just keep scanning for the next problem to worry about and we'll strategize and guard and brace ourselves for and paradoxically it's it's a survival it's a survival urge, but we, we may end up shortening our lives by keeping ourselves in perpetual anxiety. It causes inflammation in the body. So it's finding the proper balance, right? Yes, there are challenges and we do need to expend efforts to meet them. And there are also always sources of nourishment, of support in very simple ways, very real ways. And the practice is to help us remember and get in touch with those and really be nourished by them. And by our own capacity to embody the qualities that make our lives joyful and meaningful, even when the weather is stormy out there or in our own family, or maybe even both. The Christian monk, Brother David Steindl Rast, says, we may not be able to feel grateful for everything that happens in our life, but we always are able to feel grateful for something, if we remember. Taking in that nourishment regularly makes a huge difference in how we feel in our physical health, as well as our mental and emotional well-being, in our relationships and our responses to what is happening in our world. I'd like to just pause again for a sound of the bell. So in a couple moments, a few moments, I might share a little bit about some of our next activities. Um, well, our next activity is going to be lunch. So that's a great opportunity even before the time later when we're uh, very consciously sitting with our gathas, but we can just sort of play with, with it as we relate with our food at this lunch. Like, what, what would I like to call up? What would I like to touch? What would I like to feel as I bring myself into presence for the explosion of texture and flavor and color that's my food? 
in my own digestion. Um, but before going to that, I just want to pause and check in with all of you, first of all, whether it's clear um, the kind of gata's assignment that will be, so we'll, after lunch, we'll have the opportunity, I believe the next thing is going to be outdoor walking. And then we'll have an hour for, for gatas, for our own personal gatha development. And then I think we'll have Dharma sharing after that. Um, but I just wanna check, is it clear what the, the invitation for your practice is during that hour for gatha practice or gatha development or creation? Um, feel free to raise a hand if you have a question about that assignment. That clear. Um, this is Ashley bowing in. Hi. I missed the second one. I saw concentration and then intention of what I'm cultivating. I think was the third. Yeah, I think I mentioned just the creativity of creating it, right? Um, so awareness of what we're doing in the moment. Um, remembering what what we want to call on and having the intention to do it and then creating our, our own personal words, right? Our poem. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Megan. This is Megan bowing in. Is there a link to the traditional gathas, I think on the Plum Village site? Probably. <laughs> there probably is. I don't have it handy, but we can certainly look for one and, and send it around or even perhaps put it in the chat. Um, but Megan, did you receive the email? Because I know some of, I didn't like read the entire attachment, but I know there were a number of gathas in there that are Plum Village gathas. I see it now. Okay, wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And um, if there aren't any other questions about that, I think we also do have a few minutes for one or two other short questions. Um, of course, we'll have more time for questions tomorrow, but um, if there's anything that's really kind of up for you as a question right now, and it's probably won't take 20 minutes to answer, um, please feel free to raise a hand now. Okay. Well, if you come up with one, I am going to talk a bit about our next practices, but you can always let me know if something comes up that you really would like to know, a burning question. Um, yeah, so eating. Most of us may have practiced mindful eating. Some of us might be getting, again, that beginner's mind that is so valued and precious in Zen. So it's really an opportunity to pause and smile to the thinking mind again not trying to get rid of it but just saying oh you know i can i can have some time to think about that later and right now i just want to smell these beets you know that i that i'm boiling and so even as we're doing our preparation as i said there is a gatha for cutting the vegetables in these vegetables, I see a green sun. Or maybe if it's beets, if it's a purple sun. Um, the smells, the way the air is different, the moisture that comes from the boiling pots, the gratitude for the, the stove that's there on command for us, the electrical or the gas, cooking, the food itself, the, the fresh food, the ingredients. 
if we are sharing our meal with others, we can just feel gratitude that our, our loved ones are here to nourish their bodies as we nourish ours. So just being there for the joy of, of food and the pleasure, the sensory pleasures of smell, of sight, the colors and the, the shapes, the textures, the temperatures of what we're touching, the knife, the water, even salt and pepper. <laughs> and then the taste, of course. And as we're chewing, as we're eating, we like to take time to chew because actually chewing more times is beginning to already break down the, the nutrients or the, the elements so we can, our body can assimilate them. It's very kind to our digestive system. And as we do it, we can also enjoy not just the sense of taste, but the sense of, of hearing and the tactile sense, the tongue pushing the food and the, the teeth coming down. Sometimes it's fun. We're actually kind of playing with our food, right? Sometimes it's fun to put a bite of food in our mouth and not chew. And it's almost humorous to discover how, um, how automatic it is to chew as soon as something's in the mouth. So put something in the mouth and don't chew it. Just like leave it there for a couple of breaths and just watch the kind of confusion that comes in the body. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Maybe some, you know, the mouth is watering and we can just relax into it. And then we chew and notice if we can feel the food or the drink all the way down. How far down can we feel it going through our esophagus? into our stomach and noticing how the stomach is starting to work. Often we don't even pay any attention. This is like being appreciative and kind to our digestive system. How lucky, how lucky we are. And then we'll have our chance to have time to walk outside. I hope everyone has good enough weather to be able to go out touch the actual body of the earth maybe even in our bare feet or through our socks and shoes feel the sun or the rain on our face and the air and how it's different from the air inside it might even have a taste if we get to do it with a loved one with a sangha it's a great joy and this is how we change the world. <laughs> we come together. We touch our life deeply and we, we make a next step. And after that, we can play with our gathas and then share about them or anything else that's alive for us in our sharing circle and I know the facilitators will help guide that practice and I, I think I want to pause here as well um, for Gina to share I guess about when we're going to bring ourselves back together online for that right Gina schedule Gina bowing in. I do not have my schedule right in front of me, so I will post that. But I do want to make the announcement that when we do come back for Dharma sharing, um, Greg, who is handling our Zoom, will automatically put us into various groups. And each group will have a Dharma sharing leader. And so um, not to worry about that. I know a few people had questions. Um, Gina, can I yeah. just ask a question about that? So does yeah. that mean everyone comes on and we're sort of like this at first and then we sort of branch off? I might need to ask Greg that. He might have us already in our group so that he So can... when we kind of join the meeting, we're already... Okay. Yeah, so that, that way he can do that well before um, we come on he'll have a chance to make sure that there's a Dharma teacher in each group. 
And I did just get the schedule and we are coming back at uh, four o'clock mountain time. And then one other thing I'd like to just add from about the outdoor walking, some of you may be walking alone outdoors, but I'd like you to invite someone to be there with you. And that could be anyone, anyone at all that comes to your mind, just invite them to share your walk with you. Especially a blood relative, if there's someone that you want to call in and remember that, Mm -hmm. you know, we are walking with the feet and the legs of our ancestors. Yeah. Thank you. Or it might be Thai or it might be, you know, yeah, anyone that comes to mind. What a beautiful opportunity to really share this time with someone special that you want to connect your heart to. Gina bowing out. Thank you, Gina. Dear friends, uh, this is Greg bowing in. Uh, just to clarify, uh, we will all start in the large group uh, because um, you know that instead of keeping the connection on for the next four hours, uh, some people will probably sign off. Uh, so please um, try to be here uh, right by four because once the groups are assigned, it becomes a little trickier uh, to assign people again. Uh, so in order uh, to minimize uh, my work, it would be lovely if people could uh, be here uh, no later than four, so then we can disperse into our sharing groups. Thank you. Bowing out. Thank you, Greg. And on that note, too, I just want to thank all of us who have have been here for these hours together with the Zoom on. I think this is the longest time I've ever had a continuous Zoom connection and I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, just to feel your presence and your, your ongoing presence in this time, whether we're next to the screen or not, I really feel you being there with me and practicing with me. So thank you. And I wish you happy off-screen practice for the next few hours. And we'd love to hear three sounds of the bell if we're ready for that from Bryce and his heart. <laughs>